Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of Catching Foxes. This is going to be really interesting and kind of difficult as we try to record this and not kiss each other because I have just flown from Houston to Cincinnati to be with my buddy Luke. I wish you guys could see the setup that we have here. It's a little ridiculous slash intimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we have Luke's microphone because as everyone knows, Luke's microphone picks up every sound in the room. And my microphone does not. So I realized that I couldn't record in the studio with the in the studio. In, and by the studio, I mean kitchen with <laughs> with that setup. So we're just relying on Luke's one microphone, trying our best to speak directly into the microphone. But um, I, I am happy that I got to meet our third co-host, Luke's refrigerator. Stainless steel, nonetheless. Stainless steel, Spare nonetheless. Spare no expense. Spare no expense when I moved into this place. <laughs> Except for a quieter uh, refrigerator. Anywho, I love you, Frigidaire. You're a beautiful co-host. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. So I'm actually here. I'm not here to do a podcast with Luke. I didn't fly this whole way to do that. Uh, I would never do that. Luke doesn't mean that much to me. But it was just, yeah, which is really difficult because there's all that's between us is a microphone, and we are very close to each other. So awkward. So awkward. Every time you talk, I need to like back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Space. But you can't back up because then no one will hear you. Or they will hear you. It just sounds like you're in a tunnel or something. So the reason why I flew Can you up hear is me now. Mm. Sorry, sorry. No, it's fine, Luke. Everyone loves that. Uh, the reason why I'm here is I'm actually going to go to a ginormous evangelical church tomorrow for a leadership conference, which is exciting, I guess. No, it's cool. You're going to hang out with uh, my competition. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's cool. You're about to break my microphone. That's yeah, it's great. <laughs> okay, so um, this is really cool, Luke. I'm glad I get to come to your apartment because I never lived in an apartment like this in my life. Right? The hipster floors and the hipster pipes and the, the hipster everything. High ceilings. Yeah. The hipster everything. It's We're old so millennials. Yeah. It's so, it's 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 old but converted uh, to look new and cool with it's vintage. It's it vintage, is. Luke. It's vintage. We have all the joys of. Um, a new place with all the joys of an old place. And by joys, I mean handles that fall off, things that don't work. I, I went outside on the balcony to talk to my wife and say goodnight to my kids. And Luke goes, when you go outside and door handles fall off, it's not your fault. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I was like really careful and shut everything. And as I'm trying to get the door to shut, because, you know, old doors are old wooden doors that don't line up properly. It like the doorknob broke off in my hand and I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you think that French doors look cool. But then the handle falls off over and over and over again. <laughs> you would think. You would think. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it is more difficult doing a podcast, staring directly into your eyes, especially being you know, a little bit over 12 inches apart, sharing one microphone. Here's the weird part is I think... <laughs> I'm going to keep doing, keep doing it. Okay. I think that it just feels normal. Okay, sorry. Back up. We've done 88 hours. I mean, that's all. That's like a lowest. So, so let's say we've done 120 hours yeah. of over Skype. So doing it in person feels weird and a little bit unnatural almost. So if we sound douchey, that's why. I swear we know what we're doing 89 episodes in. <laughs> if we sound douchey, it's Luke's fault. So, um, oh, man. Smashed yogurt on my eyebrow. <laughs> That's what I get for always wanting to eat during a podcast. There's another one of my rituals I can't let go. Yeah, so <clears throat> this is awful. Your headphones, I can't get my glasses on my face. Here, I guess I can help you. No, Luke. No, Luke. We're close enough. I don't need you manipulating my face. Try to help. <laughs> Trying to help. Help somewhere else. Touch me. Feel me. Yeah, so it's been great being here. I, I landed. Uh, I landed a few hours ago, and uh, and I've been on my phone ever since. So <laughs> no, we hung out with an old friend from school. We hung out with my wife. We did other things. It was fun. Your your other wife. Yeah, yeah. we ate from P.F. Chang's. My dogs freaked out at you for a bit, but now you guys are buddies, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I am bummed. So one of the funny things about traveling and speaking is I'm so used to other people planning my travel that when I plan my own, I don't tell anyone about it. And Aaron literally sent me a Facebook message. Um, so you're coming in and staying at our house, right? And I'm like, oh, oh, that's a thing I need to talk about with humans. <laughs> and I just figured, nah, it'll be fine. Yeah, which is literally what I figured. Um, and I was like, well, if, if, if they can't pick me up at the airport, I'll just Uber over there, no big deal, or Lyft. I don't use Uber anymore. Uh, I'll just Lyft over there and 
And then I was like, well, I need to get his address somehow. <laughs> and I was all the while, I was planning to come and pick you up. I was in the car on the way to the airport to come and get you because we never actually <laughs> yeah. said, I'll pick you up at this time. <laughs> Damn, I am not smart. So, um, but the problem with this is we had a scheduling problem. We did. Yeah. So Luke, um, even though I'm going to this big conference tomorrow and it's a, the first day is like a 14 hour day, which seems crazy to me. Um, but you know how those evangelicals like it. Long and tiring. I don't know. Um, what we're going to end up doing is we can't record tomorrow night. We had a guest lined up that we're going to try to just figure out a way to record her uh, at a different time. But um, Luke actually can't be here for the podcast. It's weird. Even though it's in my own house, I can't be here for it. Right, right, right. So Luke actually is going to leave. Got to go. Yep. And Away from here, not in the room while this is being recorded at all. At all, at all. And I'm going to stand here and actually we're, um, our special guest has just arrived, which is why I'm wrapping this up. Luke has to leave. But in, in his place, we're actually going to interview. Um, I'm really excited about this. Oh, sorry, not we, Luke, because oh, yeah, you'll be gone. I'm not going to be in the room while the interview happens. Yeah, yeah. We get it, Luke. It's kind of like the seat conference, but in reverse. I wasn't there. Now you're not going to be here. Um, but instead, and, um, oh, the Glazers are going to be around periodically. It yeah. should be fun. Yeah, that Catholic couple is going to be that, that Catholic couple on the couch. Um, what are they doing on the couch? Um, so this guest I'm really excited about because I've heard a lot of powerful and good things coming from the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And we were super lucky. I, they heard that I was going to be in town. Um, the, it wasn't the Archbishop, but it was someone underneath him said, we need to get this guy in Catching Foxes, so people can really understand the difference between ministry that's governed by, I don't know, fruitfulness as opposed to success, um, that doesn't use worldly metrics in order to guide the church's actions and behaviors in the world. Um, and so we landed an interview with the head of the Office of the New Evangelization, no, the head of the Office for Young Adults. It's, so his title is the Director of the Office for Young Adult Evangelization and Discipleship. Okay, so that's a mouthful. So the head of the office... Every single time he has to bring it up, that's the response that he gets from people. It's crazy. Uh, so I've heard from him when he's brought it up to me. Yeah, well, I mean, Luke, as my co-host, you, you don't really live in Cincinnati. We don't know where you live. Uh, but, so anywho, so you, you, you're familiar with people like this. So uh, I'm gonna, we're going to say goodbye to Luke. Luke, say goodbye. Bye, bye, everyone. I love you all. Never let go. Never let go. Never let go. So Luke's going to leave. And instead, we're going to bring in our very special guest. Bye. There, Luke is officially leaving. He has walked out his front door. I'm not a liar. And we are inviting in a very special guest, a man named Miss. <laughs> uh, named oh, good to have you, a man named Mister Carey, who's Bye. the director of the office of what was it again? I couldn't. Uh, so this is this is Mister Carey. We he's. Uh, as a director, we want to show him a lot of respect and only use his last name Thank for you. this recording. Um, are you a doctor? You don't yeah. have your doctor? Okay, yeah. just your undergrad. Yeah. Just your undergrad. Oh, from who knows where. From, okay. Okay, so Mr. Carey, uh, why don't you tell us your, your title again? Sure. So I am the uh, director of the Office for Young Adult Evangelization and Discipleship for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. I've been in that position since January of 2016. Before that, I was the associate director in the Office of the New Evangelization, now titled the Office for the New Evangelization. That sounds exhausting just saying that. Is that exhausting? It is a lot of words, but, you know, theology is in the preposition, so. (laughs) The moon is in my eye. Um, When we talk about... Uh, the Office of the New Evangelization, the Office of Evangelization Discipleship. A lot of places have that, like, title. And it's funny because everyone knows, who listens to this podcast, that I'm allowed to use my first and last name, unlike my co-host who's no longer with us, um, except for the other co-host, the refrigerator. Um, But I am the coordinator of evangelization at my parish. And one time as I was um, thinking over asking my pastor, hey, Father, could I have this title, Um, I was listening to a handful of evangelical um, church planters, right? People who go and go into a new town. They're completely unsupported by other churches. It's not like uh, an extended or satellite campus. And they said, um, I'll never forget this line. If you hire someone as the coordinator of evangelization or the coordinator of discipleship or director or whatever you want to call it, he said, that's when you know you're doing it wrong. 
And I, said, I was like, no, I just changed my title, or I was just about to change my title. And he said, because everyone on staff is in charge of evangelization and discipleship. That should be such a part of your church that the moment you hire one person to be in charge of that, that gives everyone else permission to not do the difficult work. Hold on, Mr. Carey, let me finish. Oh, no, the no, difficult work of, show. <laughs> of evangelization. You know, Luke never says that, but it's true. That's why it comes up in iTunes that way. It's just my name, um, which I changed, by the way. Uh, so the thing is, when if you have someone who's in charge of evangelization for a whole diocese, I can understand, yeah, you're setting out projects and themes and whatever, but aren't you also giving cover to people who are like, oh, evangelization, that's not my job. I just do liturgy or I just do, uh, I just drive the archbishop around in a sweet car. Like, what do you think about that? Well, no, that's honestly, I do think the titles are, I do think that, that sorry, I, I, this is a very interesting setup you guys have here. And I understand this is your first time being interviewed Ever. In, yes. in, so, in a kitchen. I'm, so I'm, Yes, I'm very new to this, especially the kitchen part. Um, words, you know, words actually really do matter. And so what you've seen in our, actually, so I'm in the Department of Evangelization and Pastoral Life. And... Could you say that word again? Pastoral? (laughs) I'm in the uh, Department of Evangelization and Pastoral Life. Mm. Yes, sorry. (laughs) It's a very common mistake that I hear people who have very good intentions (laughs) make. Sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> we've just met. This is very interesting. We have never hung out before. Um, it's almost like we've been lifelong friends. I know, right? It's like we have this instant rapport. I feel close to you. Okay, so anyways, um, yeah, I do think you need to be aware of like what your titles are because when I think of my office, the Office of Young Adult Evangelization and Discipleship shares in the responsibility that the that the arch that the archbishop has to be for and to help um, to you know really before the all the young adults in the archdiocese. That's a very loud truck right there. Hopefully that doesn't screw up anything that's going on here. Um, I've never had that happen before. This is a very cool uh, apartment though. Who uh, whoever like lives here? I got sweet. Um, And now we're taking a picture. <laughs> so, anyways, um, words matter. Yeah, so like words really do matter, and, and I think it's good to be aware of that stuff. And it's very—I think what he's really getting at is the symptom of a bigger problem, which is a professionalism within the church. Now, I want to be very specific here. I don't think this applies to such things as Catholic schools or different. Up- Postulates, though I do think that some of the tenets there are are the same. When you have specific contracts, respond, responsibility, very specific job descriptions, you do like need those things. And I think I do think it's important to have titles. But the but you're but you are right though in the sense that when a parish or a diocese creates these bound these boundaries it really does screw up the like the purpose of the of the uh church and it isolates us and um i think that's pretty dangerous you know and and, and like because like what then happens is what you were just talking about which is that people go oh that's not part of my job description i don't have to worry about that so it's do you need to have job titles? Yeah, I can. I, I can see that, but there has to be a cultural understanding of what's the mission of this office, what's the mission of this diocese. When you're able to articulate that and people buy buy into that, I think it's less of a problem. All right, so I'm going to put you on the spot. What is the mission and vision of your office? Sure. So this is the thing that I've really been discerning for the past four months. I've, I've also been very involved in the youth office for evangelization and uh, discipleship. My counterpart there, Brad Bursa, uh, we are, one, very good friends, and two, uh, before when I was in the office of the new evangelization. I thought you were literally just going to stop with, we are one. 
<laughs> we are one. Actually, I, I do have this ongoing joke where if you've seen one, you have seen the other. Um, but uh, no, it's been really cool because we're, we're, we're very different in a, a lot of ways, but also very alike in a lot of other ways as well, especially with how we want to do ministry and, and what's and what's important. So I partnered with Brad and a lot of other youth ministers in the Archdiocese when I was in the new evangelization office on these initiatives and events going on throughout the arch, throughout the archdiocese. So when they, when they um, revamped our entire department, they split what was the youth and the young adult office into two. And then uh, Brad was in charge of the youth office. I was in charge of the young adult office, but I'm in this little bit of a weird spot where still all these things that I am committed to, such as our Abide Conference, which is a fantastic thing we do for high school kids. I really encourage everyone to check that out. Uh, uh, it's abidecincy.com is our website. So anyways, uh, we, um, I've still had a foot in all of the youth stuff. So I haven't been able to like completely devote myself to all of the all of the young adult things. So, and, and in that office as well, they had about five years of work and, um, you know, discernment to really kind of feel like, what is this thing? So they have a mission, have a vision. We actually hammered out a lot of that stuff before, you know, Brown was even offered that a position because we were doing our own thing and trying to discern what is God calling us to do with this. So anyways, what I, that's, that's a really long, way to say I'm not quite sure yet, but it is an ongoing thing. Oh, you're fine. I'm sure the guy's floor is fine. Uh, I, what I want to do is to speak to the temptation of doubt that believers have and speak to the temptation to believe the people who doubt have. And, and it will be primarily in the age group of 22 to 35. So you're a millennials, if you will. That's who I'm ministering to. Now, I think this is an important question because one of the things that really fascinates me is how easy it is for people in in church work to just do, and even volunteers or whatever, to just do a job without understanding mission, vision, plans for making it better. You know, it's just like running a series of disjointed programs. And when someone asks the big question, like, what is the mission? What is the purpose for your existence. They're like, I run these programs. It's like, yeah, but well, why these programs? Why this age group? Why this? Why that? Why do we do it this way? Why do we always separate the children from their parents? Why don't we do family catechesis? Yeah. Or if you're doing family, why don't you do, you know, separate the kids from the parents? You know, like we never, I feel like they, we just do this and, and we all say this, right? Oh, because it's always been done that way. And when we don't want change, we say it. And when we do want change, we make fun of that notion. But it becomes very ingrained in us that we don't we don't even realize the presuppositions that we carry in that we carry. Oh, how funny. That's your last name. <laughs> Mr. Carey. Well, you know, and that's honestly one of the things that I'm very pumped for for the archdiocese is all of the offices in our department. And so it's it's split into two competencies. You've got the evangelization part and then the pastoral life side. And uh <laughs> Yeah, it is really cool when everyone's on the same page. We're all very unique and dynamic, but the important part that we're all you're all snowflakes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But the important part is that we're all aligned in the sense of like what we believe Mm -hmm. and how important ministry is. We don't always agree on things. There are, there are, there are things like me and Brad don't always agree on. We take things from a different point, point of view, but when you're not having to fight, um, certain things, it's really like when you're able to say, this is what we do. This is what we're, we're all trying to do. You're, it just gets rid of all of the baggage. You, I really, I think it's very important to do your, to do you're like ministry of what's called above the snake line. I'm stealing this from Jim Beckman, which is when you don't. So out in Colorado, if you hike a 14er mountain, which is, which is the tallest one that you, the highest one that you can hike, 
um, you can't camp over oh, 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 like overnight unless you camp above the snake line where all the snakes can't. For some reason, I don't know why they can't get to that 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 point. And Jim talks about you want to do your ministry above that. It's basically, don't like there is a big difference between a cross and a self-imposed cross. So get the hassle, those things out of your way that really don't have to be there. And, it, and it, so it's just, you know, it's like, that's why any event that we do, we really painstakingly go through all of the, uh, the, uh, logistics because we just want that stuff to not get in the way of the ministry that we want to, to do. And I, Wanted to add one really quick thing to that. I think there, it's very important that you have a mission, have a, and that you have a vision. But I think it's equally important that it is the result of a discernment. It could, and that's and what you say is your mission is in our, it's an articulation of what that discernment has led you to, of what God's calling you to do. Because those are two very just having a mission to just have like have a mission is just trying to manage your way out of things. That's not, that's not going to lead to anything. Now, in your professional opinion, as a director of fancy, fancy, blah, 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 would you, Mr. Carey, um, would you see, do you see the same tendency that I do that there are a lot of things that let's call them books, Let's call them books published by major publishing houses that tend to emphasize parish renewal is not through let me okay, let me stop being stupid here. The thing that infuriates me is book after book after book gives you technique after technique after technique of organizing your staff, communicating, blah 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 blah. And I'm not saying that stuff is not important. But what I find over and over again is that prayer is regarded or is relegated to nothing but bookends in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lord bless us. Amen. All right, now let's get on to the real work. And I fear that a lot of people from creating positions within existing organizations, discerning whether or not that organization itself should exist, like, for instance, consolidating parishes. I don't know, in your diocese, you guys have the experience of consolidating and shutting down old parishes. Yeah, and so that takes a lot. I mean, you're going to cause a lot of pain. That That's going to take a lot of effort. And my fear is that people are doing this from a strategic initiative rather than from a strategic initiative resting in prayer, right? And then taking it even further, I mean, this can go from big things to small things, small things being um, how do we run our meetings, right? And that's actually one of the reasons why I want to talk to you because ever since I first heard about how y'all run your meetings – I always thought, wow, that sounds really awesome because that's not how I've ever been in a meeting before in my life. Now, I've done certain meetings where, let's say, at the diocesan level, we'll do a liturgy of the word or a, a modified version of the liturgy of the word. You know, we'll read some scripture. It won't be necessarily from the mass that day, but they'll read it. They'll do a little reflection, and then we begin the work. Um, but you guys do something pretty interesting there that... Um, that doesn't allow for people to mentally check out. In fact, the whole point of it is mental. It's a form of mental prayer called Lectio Divina. Um, can you tell us about how you run your meetings? And not all meetings, but you run a lot of your meetings with Lectio Divina. And you talked about this little triangle thing. I want to get to the triangle thing afterwards. Okay. But let's start sure. with the, the Lectio. Sure. So for the most part, all of the meetings that we do begin with Lexio, which is when we just really invoke the Holy Spirit to help us pray with with Scripture, and this is particularly important when you have an event that's based on or that you um, have like a theme and it's a Scripture verse. So when we when we talked about this earlier, I use John ten ten. So they will have life and have it to the to the. Uh, to, to the fullest. Excuse me, don't know where that came from. <laughs> so, <laughs> where what came from? I don't, I don't know. know. I didn't talk about. Yeah, I didn't notice anything I edited in post. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, okay. So, um, I'm always a little bit so. Um, it's always like weird to have to like rehash a thing on a mic. So if I skip anything, just try to draw it out of me. Stop so, to me, man. <laughs> when we start our meetings, we 
do like Lexio, which if you really don't know what that is, I'm going to try to explain that really briefly. We just pray with a specific verse or really, a really short, a really short passage where we probably have it have it read aloud three times or so. Perhaps uh, it just kind of depends on how many times we have been um, praying with that. And then as a group, we talk about what hit us from that from that passage and. What tends to happen is we talk about our, own, you know, we we do talk about how it applies to like ministry or the or the event, but I'd say probably eighty percent of the conversation based around that verse deals with how it impacts our own our like own life, how it touches our own vo our own vocations, or and so if we have a two hour meeting on so for abide, which is the conference that we have, we might spend half an hour or so just you know in just um in, uh in prayer doing like lexio, and so what you're able to see over the course of an entire school year this is in when I was doing all of the youth ministry stuff is you can kind of see where. God was calling us, how he was, how he was, what he was, what he was telling us and how we responded. So instead of just having to plan all this stuff, it's really this deep, intimate dialogue with the Lord and each other. And I want to point out two things there. Um, Number one was the first thing that you share like 80% of the time is actually your personal things, whether family life, home life, or your own individual walk with Christ. I have never been in a staff meeting that wasn't a day of reflection. I've, I've had many wonderful you know, prayer days, days of reflection. Um, I shouldn't say I've never had a staff meeting, actually, because lately in my church, my department head has, and like lately, I mean, maybe the last six months, when we meet as a staff, we actually take time, we pray the Angelus, and we have um, four major prayers that we pray as a group together. We've been praying for over two years now. Um, the Angelus, um, the the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, the peace prayer, the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, and a prayer for our priests. And we say that all the time. Um, so we come together, we pray that, and then we just share what's going on in our personal lives, and you're not allowed to share about what's going on in your ministry at all. Uh, that comes later. You, know, you do that. But what I love about what you're doing um, is it's a work meeting. It's a meeting to get stuff done about an event that you're going to do. And in the middle of that, you're sharing about your personal life, your personal walk with Christ, all these things going on, whatever it is. And that takes up 30 minutes of a two hour long meeting, at least. at least 30 minutes of a two hour long meeting. How many times, number one, we all hate meetings, but how many times do we go to meetings and we have these things where we're just like, all right, let's just get this over with. But prayer forces you <laughs> to like slow it down and all this stuff. Because I know that, I mean, Lesio Divina is a really powerful way of doing mental prayer, but then you're sharing that with other people, sharing a part of your life. One might say you're building community? <laughs> yes, and I think that is a very good thing. As long as it's not dependent upon any type of like video or anything. That's just my opinion, though. Well, your opinion doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and now I have the microphone. I'll turn it back to myself. Uh, go to Michael Gormley on uh, YouTube, and you can look at my excellent community group videos that I made Luke watch as soon as I got into his apartment, which, Mr. Carey, you're here. Yeah. You know him. You know He's the guy that was leaving. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Nice building. Um, now, okay, before you talk into the back of the microphone, because I haven't switched around yet. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I, honestly, I know that there are people who are listening to this who are like, wait, 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 wait. They actually, they don't just pray, but they pray as a staff. They share their life together. They actually build community. What does that, what is like the approach or the, the methodology behind that? You were telling me about a triangle and I got really excited oh, and sure. maybe I broke out in a little brief sweat. I need to do a uh, quick favor. I like how quick. Luke mouthed that to me instead of just saying it when I can clearly just edit this yeah, out. Yeah, sorry. I got to go grab a water for Aaron. Rod Draper, Don Draper, do, 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 do,
Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. This house is too full. Where are all the moms? Cut it out. It's going to be even fuller when we get on Netflix. Just waiting for Mr. Carey to get Mr. Luke's wife some water, which is awkward. Full house. When I started to uh, work at the Archdiocese two years ago, it took me about six months till I started to see, oh, this is what's going on here. I, I, st- I, I, I was able to see that there was almost like a, I, I, I hate to choose this word, but just like how this all kind of worked. And I um, saw it as a triangle. On the bottom the was base. the base of the, of the uh, triangle, if you will. All about that base, actually. Uh, was Really, Mr. Director. <laughs> Sorry. <Carey. laughs> As an official representative of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. You are all about the base of that triangle. Yes, yes, all about the base of that triangle. So at the base of it was your personal prayer life and your vocation, your primary vocation. That was the most important part. The kind of like bulk of the triangle was this community that was coming together to pray together, to support each other in their own ministries, and to put on these events, to pray for, plan, and uh, discern what are these events going to be. And the very tiny top part of the, really it's more like a pyramid, the top uh, part of the pyramid was what everyone else uh, saw, which was the events for both high school kids and for the youth ministers in the in in the archdiocese, and the heart of what was going on with all of this, because this really all starts over a lunch conversation five years ago. The heart of it was the community and the prayer of the youth ministers, the way that they like served each <coughs> each each other, the way that they um, really dug into each, each, you know, other's lives. And we were like, we became great friends. And what I started to, to experience was that my time with these people, it didn't like really just create these great events, but it impacted my own marriage, it impacted my own faith. And it actually made me a better Catholic. Like I want, I fell, I fell in love with Christ more because the way that I was encountering him through the people that I was, that I, that I was working with. It was really, really powerful. And in a way, it was kind of, I had just thought of like, this is how ministry should be done. This is how I want to do ministry from here on out. This is what I'm called to do for the rest of my life. This is how I want to do this. So really, in a lot of ways, more than anything else, you're being formed by the practice of the community doing ministry, right? Yes, yes. And it's not, see, this is the problem that we have so often is that we can sit in classrooms and get textbooks and understand how to implement a ministry program. But it isn't until we actually are with people who are not just concerned about being professionals, but people who are concerned about being saints and making saints. Or if you don't want to use saints, use the word disciple, right? Because maybe saints are a little too presumptive. No, no, but I don't because I I think – no, I actually say we're all called to a deep communion with – Christ and the result of that is ultimately it will always be sainthood, always. So I, I think that's like um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Use that term. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. But yeah, it, it really um, when we, so the first time we did abide, this was this is um, the missionary discipleship conference we do for high school kids. Uh, I remember Jim Beckman and I no, I think it was. Um, uh, it was like Nick Frank and he goes, uh, he, um, oh, so he's, um, he, he, he was involved in a door and is the youth minister. A door is a, wait, what? What's a door? Oh, sorry. You didn't so, words okay. Know. So our buddy, our buddy, like Nick Ooh. Frank, Ooh, Mr. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, some guy that we know named Nick Frank who was helping us out at 
the conference he was at the time involved with Adore, which is this fan fantastic ministry based out in um, Houston, Texas, where they really try to emphasize go and just like love your neighbor. He was doing Adore stuff up while um, uh, he lived in uh, Illinois and he worked as the youth minister out there. And he's a speaker at all of the student conferences and all of that good stuff. Great, great dude. Handsome man. Then Nick Frank. Um, he brought this really interesting point where he says, you guys, th- th- this is a really interesting conference because you approach this like I would a retreat. This isn't some like pre packaged thing that you do. You are um, uh, discerning this constantly at the, at the end of like every retreat, Sorry, at the at the end of every day during this five day long conference, we would all get together with all of the main speakers, the main like, ministry team, and we would pray and go, "Okay, what is the Lord? What did He do today? What is He calling us to do tomorrow?" And we changed pretty much an entire night. This was a very expensive conference and it was great but we changed a whole night on the fly because we knew that it was the, that's what god was telling us to do through this and, and and you know most people don't do that they're really not willing to let go of control over those things and we realized that if we didn't do those things because that's how we do all of our other all of their other events we're constantly trying to to discern what the lord is calling us to do and if you're really doing that, you can't help but go deeper into a relationship with him. And so prayer is the most important part of like what we do. It's it just it just like saturates everything. So it's <clears throat> it's individual prayer, prayer in community, community life. The end result of that is ministry or yeah. apostolate. It, it just happens. Yeah. So it's formation as my in my in my inner being with God. And then that spills outward into my vocation. Then that spills outward into my relationships. And then that spills out inward or outward uh, to my um, apostolate or my work rather than doing what I do. I don't know. I'm going to give you some management techniques. You ready for this, Mr. Carey? Maybe you want to write this down, <laughs> implement it when you're with a bunch of youth ministers. What I do is I ignore my wife and kids and I stop praying for a long time and I just consume a lot of entertainment. Right, a lot of YouTube, especially a lot of van conversion videos, which is weird. Probably a psychosis about wanting to get away from my family because a van conversion is really just a one bedroom apartment, tiny house. Um, and then from that perspective, what I try to do is I look out and I say, "Okay, I got a big event coming up, but I also have to play Minecraft." And so I try to weigh those, and then I, it always is more Minecraft. Um, and then when I start planning the event, I sit there and I think for a long time. Uh, what do I think people need to hear? What do I think they need to hear? And I don't pray. I don't think about it from that perspective. Instead, I try to puzzle it out and figure it out. And you know what I've discovered? Nine times out of ten, what I think people need to hear is the things that I'm really good at talking about. And so I minister to people from a position of strength up from my life, regardless of what they need. Because what they need is what I have, obviously. That's why God gave me this job. So I'm not praying. I'm not discerning. I'm not talking. I'm basically living my own private little self-indulgent life. And then I view the event as the basis of my spiritual life. Because if it's successful, that means God approves of me. And if it's not successful, it probably doesn't mean that God disapproves of me. Probably it was someone else's fault. I'll blame a vendor. Um, do you think that, I think that that might be a more fruitful way of pursuing ministry. Uh, would you, when, why are you just laughing at me? Have you ever have you ever looked at an event and hung your salvation on its outcomes from like an eye rolling teenager? Like what I mean by that is like so much of what I do, I'm just like I just want to win you over. But my fear is winning them over means accommodating the gospel to them rather than bringing them into the gospel. Oh yeah, and that's something that Ratzinger hit on in his book on Christian Brotherhood that he wrote in the 1960s. He he talks about how when you, we do that, when we try to like sell people the, the I think he's, he refers to it as the, the word we cheapen it, and, and that really struck me. That you know, you the gospel is not to be, it's not to 
to be sold. I would even say it's not even to be told. It's first primarily to be witnessed. And you can't do that unless you yourself are a witness. You know, so it's all pointless. It's all, and and, uh, when you, when we don't respect the freedom that other people have, we're inherently, like, that's wrong. And how can you do ministry from a place that that's wrong? Now, Now, God can obviously, like, work through things. He can work through you. He can work through others. But uh, I think it's really, really important that um, when we are doing ministry, we respect the people that we are trying to minister to, and we profoundly have encountered and understand who it is that we are talking about. Because then you just won't. If there's there's anything else that I could say that I would add, it would be this, is that a lot of this stuff came from... Anton Balthasar and Ratzinger, not even like really the methods per se. And I, I hate to, I really hate to even call them that, but just like the approach. And I just see so many people trying to manage our way out of this, out of um, the decline, out of our dying parishes, out of, you know, trying to fix a culture that, you know, pretty much not only doesn't deny God, but actively seeks out people who like acknowledge him and tries to stamp, stamp it out, you know, or just like, it, it, it does feel that the new hotness right now is anti-theism. And the only way, the only thing we're called to do when that happens is to just bear witness to Christ and to suffer for them. The church is at its best when it suffers. And we're so scared of that. And we're trying to manage our way out of it. And we are ignoring the warnings of what I think will be some of the most important people in the history of the church of the past hundred years to not do what we're doing right, right, right now. Because we're not being who we are, which is the church. The church has made us to suffer. If we're supposed to be like Christ, what did Christ do? He hung on a cross and he endured, he endured the worst thing ever and died for all of us. So why can we, why should we expect anything less? I don't know. I, I'd be curious to hear your d- d- take on that as someone who's seasoned in this. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, I mean, oh man, I don't even know where to begin. I'll begin with this, the manage our way out of this. I want to manage it because managing means I'm the one in control. I want to look at it through the lens of, oh, well, here are these 10 tips and tricks and life hacks that you can do to your email, your newsletters, your bulletin inserts, your web page in order to get everyone excited about Christ again. And I I know in my heart that an email, a bulletin, a well-crafted whatever might be a hook to get people excited, but it's not going to bring them to salvation. What will bring people to salvation is people. There's never been another plan given to us by God through Christ to his apostles and their followers, there's never been another plan other than interpersonal relationships. There's never been. That's why we call our priests father. That's why we call them abbots for Abba, right? Fathers. That's why we call our bishops that. That's why we call the Holy Father the Holy Father. That's why we call nuns sisters and monks brothers and all this stuff. It's because it is a family relationship dynamic that unfolds. But I know one thing more than anything else. Nothing is more exhausting to a minister doing boots on the ground ministry, actually being with people, not behind a desk, than those interpersonal relationships. They're exhausting. And one of the things that I know in my own life, I mean, my wife took on the burdens of the young people that she worked with. And I can say this, that her taking on those burdens, and, and maybe she could have done things differently, that, but, but it burned her out. It did. And she left youth ministry, took on children's ministry for a while, and then now um, is homeschooling our kids, which is the worst kind of ministry I could ever imagine. I'm just kidding. But um, I really stopped dogging my family. No, No, I'm fine. Um, But I mean, me and my wife, we would talk about these things in depth for a long time. And I can remember being like, I viewed her as the unhealthy one because she let it affect her too much. 
and and maybe there is an uh, you know unhealthy aspects of that. My wife was never like a weirdo codependent person, but when a teen was hurting, and she's still the teens that hurt the most, my wife is still in contact with them today. Um, still is walking with them years later, and taking not, not I don't want to say it like taking their burdens upon herself because they still have their burdens, but. I mean, she really does suffer with them. And I remember being like, well, honey, you have to have a level of detachment. You know, you have to be separate from all this stuff. And I felt like I had longevity as a youth minister, but I realized one very powerful thing to all of those people. Like we had Everett Fritz on, uh, me and Luke did, not you. Uh, we had uh, Everett Fritz on in an earlier show. Um, and he talked about, how he realized the value of discipleship over large group programming when he realized his most faithful teens were teens that he personally discipled and other core members did. Well, I would take it to that next level thinking on what you just said. The ones that I disciple best are the ones that I suffer with. And you can't suffer with, right? The word compassion, compasio, right? Means I suffer with. You can't suffer with 200 people or 500 people. You can only suffer with five or 10 you really can't do more than that. And then here's, Hold on. I'm sorry. Go on. Let me turn the microphone. What a great way to treat a guest that you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everyone wants to hear this guest, so let me turn the microphone around so they can hear you, guest. You guys were on a professional shop over here. <laughs> uh, um, I had a very interesting conversation with, with Brad the other day, that as a ch- if we're called to suffer as a church... What does that look like? Like, practically speaking, what does that actually look like? And Brad brought up this kind of great analogy. He says, you know, like, think of how you suffer in your own life and just apply that to your own ministry, which is the thing he's brought up to me a couple times that I think is very important. There is no real difference between how God works in my quote-unquote personal life and within my own ministry. It's all kind of the same, the same signs, the same, the same fruit, the same everything. And so what I did was I went back into my office and on a whiteboard, I just kind of, I just wanted to map out and just kind of see, okay, what's a self-imposed cross and what's an error, what's, where am I being called to, uh, to bear a cross for others or to, or to suffer for others. I think it's really good to take that to prayer, take that to a spiritual director, to take it to the, your spouse, the community that you're in. Cause it's so they can help you to really kind of, cause I would say, uh, I mean, I think it's good to really try to be there for others and to like bear their pain, but you can't do it if you're not being called to do it. You know? So if you like some teens can be exhausting and they just, you know, and, and by trying to bear their pain, by trying to be there for them, you're actually enabling them to continue behaviors that are very self-destructive. So how do you handle that? I mean, it's, I think it's a case by case basis. But I, I, I do think you need to be very careful to discern between w- where am I called to suffer for people and what am I self... And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the difference of I'm going, to, I'm going to allow this pain to happen and, oh, I'm going to um, shoot myself in the foot so I can feel pain. You know, those are two very um, different things. And so, that, like, there are times for me when I know that I have to suffer. Part of that is just th- the work that I have to to do. I mean, I, I've honestly gotten to the point now where I really try to not even view it as work, but to view it as labor, which is which is th- the same thing. But it really help. It really does help me not view what I'm doing as a job, but as like this ministry that I'm a part of that just consumes my whole life and they're paying me not so much for the work that I'm doing, but for my time to do, um, to labor on the archbishop's behalf for the young adults in our archdiocese. Yeah. Um, wanted to wrap this up. I've just, before Luke gets back, I wanted to, Oh no, the other co-host just showed up. 
Wrapping this up. can't control it. <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to say that um, I want to thank you for your time here today. I do think that one of the most um, interesting things is the the base of the pyramid being your, and we're going with pyramid. Sure, yeah, the base of the pyramid, the foundation of the pyramid has to be your interior life with God, your community with God, how you commune with God, how God communicates himself to you, mm-hmm. right? That needs to be the foundation. Flowing from that needs to be your communion with others. Mm-hmm. And it starts with your vocation. If you're married, that's great. If you're single, if you're single, you're not allowed to be alone. And what I mean by that is you're not allowed to be alone in your ministry, but also in your vocation as it stands right then, like as a single person, you shouldn't just cut yourself off from other people. Even if most of your friends are married and that's annoying, you should find a way to connect with, with other people, whether it's if you're a woman meeting with women, if you're a man meeting with men, but you need to find you need to find actual human beings that can be with you. Well, I bet you that the, some of the most important, con, the most important conversations you ever had about your own ministry was with the guys that you lived with, and when you were outside, just hanging out, you know, trying to really, you know, talk about like what was going on. How much did that impact like what you did? Yeah, one hundred percent, and. I stole every idea they ever had uh, in those moments. I was like, oh, really? Senior core? That's cool. I'm going to do the exact same thing and not even call it something different. That's what we're going to do. Um, <clears throat> going forward, I think uh, – I don't even know how to end this because I think there's – today's ta- – or t- this podcast was very um, straightforward. And I, we, I know we have a lot of people who do ministry, but if you don't do ministry – in fact, if you don't even know you believe in God – one of the reasons why you don't know that is probably because you came to a church filled with people who are all trying to manage and micromanage other people's lives rather than let the God of the universe overthrow their plans and actually do his will, right? So we pray all the time with the Our Father, um, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't really think we take that prayer seriously. We like to call him our father, but I don't really know if we're claiming our sonship and, and daughterhood in, in God the Father because, man, now I sound all like preachy, but, oh, finally, it's fine. Thank you, Mr. Carey. Luke never lets me do this. hate that guy. He's very handsome, though. He is very handsome. I'll give you that. Like a, like a balding Matthew McConaughey-ish. So, uh, plus or minus 30 pounds. <laughs> mostly plus. The... Uh, <clears throat> Looking at it from this perspective of someone who is like totally outside the church or barely hanging on, you can feel that like, okay, for instance, I was challenged by someone to, uh, you know, like you find yourself sitting at a desk for like hours. That's not good and healthy. So stand up and maybe go for a little walk. And it's like, where am I going to go for a walk? Well, I do live in a place called the Woodlands, which is beautiful. And our campus is beautiful. So what I started doing was taking a walk around the campus. Like I take one lap and then come right back in because it's Houston and it's 1,000 degrees. But then I realized after reading Soul of the Apostolate, hey, moron, that's not the time to put in a podcast and walk around. That's a time in the middle of the day before you pray the Angelus with your community to pray for the life and health of the church. And so what I began doing, you know, decade number one is for God's grace to come down. Decade number two is for, um, uh, is for a blessing on our priests and clergy. Um, you know, decade number three, and it's not always this rigid, but decade number three is for the breaking of demonic attacks against our parish. Um, and I say that as I'm walking along the fence line with our neighbors, right? Because I want blessings to be on our neighbors. Um, and decade number four is, is just, you know, whatever intentions I can think of of individual staff members. And number five is, is for my own ministries and the people that I work with or um, work for. One of the things that that begins to do to you is you begin to realize that you can't, that, that people are coming into a church where it looks no different functionally from what's happening at the dentist's office down the street or the, you know, the mini mall, strip mall, whatever on the other side of town. Everyone's sitting behind computers, answering emails, and making phone calls. And I started to really, because the funny thing was, right, I'm walking with a rosary, and then, like, cars drive by, and I just noticed I instinctually hide my rosary, right? You know, it's like, oh, I don't want people to see me practicing my piety before others, even though Jesus also states that when you practice your piety before others, and good men see the, or men see the good works you do, they give glory to God the Father. That's neither here nor there. I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching, Luke. I'm Mr. Carey. Son of a gun. 
cat is. He's just outside. Oh yeah, that's right. He's that's I got confused. Um, but he uh, or but uh, so what I began doing was um, I, I realized at this moment I was like literally hiding my rosary from Catholics seeing a Catholic pray the rosary at church, and I thought how stupid that was. And then I thought, how come we don't, not like at my church, and this isn't me like digging on my church because we get people, we have perpetual adoration and all that stuff, but how come we're not accustomed to seeing people walking around on campus and around campus just praying? Like, that's... So, I think that happens because people aren't on the way. You know, we're all called to be on on the way with Christ. And when a parish staff, when an archdiocese, when a diocese, when people at the Vatican, whoever, when they are not on the way, how in the world are we supposed to invite other people into that? If it doesn't exist, how, what are we supposed to invite them in into? You know, so like, you're right. Like, like, why don't we, why don't we do those things? It's because the majority of us, if I'm being really honest, aren't on the way together. Some of them are, some of them aren't, some of them are angry. Some of them are confused or hurt, but like there's, but there's not this collective agreement that we're all in this together. Like we like say the baptismal stuff and we say that we believe, but we're just saying, cause it's what we're supposed to say. We don't actually really believe it. Yeah. So if we're not actually on the way, which is actually what Christianity was called in the beginning, this is cool. Think about this. If we're not on the way, what do we offer people when we work for the church, but we're not following Christ or we're not praying? What do we offer? We offer them things to believe, things to like adhere to and agree with and behaviors to do. And that's it. And yet how many people say, I don't like Catholicism because I feel like it's just a bunch of rules and, you know, things I'm supposed to like swallow, like, okay, Trinity, whatever. But how many of people were taught by people who didn't, who were not on the way? And so all they could do was just point to, yeah, here's a list of things. Here's the Ten Commandments. Memorize them. Yeah, you memorize them. I'm a good catechist. That's not good catechesis, just memorizing stuff for the sake of memorizing it. And so I like that, man, that is, that is wrecking my shop because if they're not on the way, that's all they can do is, and, and then what do they do? They use guilt and fear to manipulate people into not being on the way, right? Because there's, there's a healthy fear to keep you on the way, meaning losing your salvation, breaking your father, heavenly father's heart, grieving the Holy Spirit, all that stuff. And yet there's an unhealthy thing, which is conform to my rules, my rules as an individual human being, imposing it on others. And that's dangerous. That's where that notion of Catholic identity becomes so warped. I mean, it's a good thing to have a Catholic identity, meaning the very heart of your organization is thoroughly Catholic, or the very heart of you as an individual, as a disciple, as an apostle is Catholic. But it's fake when it's just about the externals. How many people have walked... So people, we are getting Facebook messages like crazy. And one guy just recently wrote in saying, like, I I haven't been to church in weeks. I haven't been to church in weeks. And how many of us want to run away from the church when we just feel like it's nothing but a list of things to believe and a list of behaviors to do or in reality to not do. And that is not life-giving. What is life-giving is prayer, is being centered on God, is contemplating God. But if you have a whole group of people who are running the show, who are not on the way, then that means they cannot give us these. And I'm going to ask your opinion on this one thing. Uh, There's a man named Dom Jean-Baptiste Chautard, right? He wrote a book. I don't know if you've heard of it, Soul of the Apostolate. Okay, you've heard a few things. Good, good. Well, in this, in this book, in the opening pages, he says, an apostle who is not framing his ministry or the source of his ministry is not their own interior life with God, right? Christ is not reigning in their hearts, but rather they're just doing it for God. The end of the first chapter says, God the Father, out of the love and respect he owes to his son, must shut down, as my paraphrase, must shut down that ministry. God has to oppose apostles who are not disciples. God has to oppose their work. Otherwise, you would be seen as blessing that attitude. And the problem is, I've had that attitude where it's like, okay, God, just as long as you don't put up any obstacles, watch what I can do for you. And God's like, apart from me, you can do Nothing. Okay. What do you What do you think about that? That God has to shut down, and I'll try to dig out maybe the real quote. But God has to shut down those apostolates or whatever that are not 
led by people in prayer. You know, you can use the book, book of Revelation, one of my favorite things. You want to get all angsty about the church today? Read the seven letters to the seven churches. He says, if you don't change, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand, meaning your presence here with me. The church in America is not guaranteed to last. You know, God never said, I will, you know, prevent the gates of hell to consume American churches. They certainly can. All seven churches in the book of Revelation did not repent sufficiently, and all seven lampstands were removed. So that that notion of God actively thwarting Christian ministry because it doesn't have Christ. So here's, I, I think that's, why would God do that? Because it's not bearing fruit. And, okay, so, and he's going to, like, trim, he's going to, you know, like, cut things off that aren't bearing fruit. So fruit can, can be born. Now, here's the, the interesting part about that. What does that look like? I think we tend to think that it means it just like ends. I don't think it always does. I think it just, I think at times it just means that you're not going to bear fruit. The Lord's going to prevent you from having fruit being born because this isn't a good thing that's going on. I don't think it always necessarily looks like the, you know, I don't think it means you get, you get, uh, that you are let go from a parish. I think it can mean that perhaps people just stop going or, or your personal life. you just feel like miserable the whole time. Like I'm at my worst when I'm not praying hands down. I hate my job the most when I'm not praying and it, uh, the Lord is not afraid to wreck us like he's like he is not afraid to cause a flood in our you know own lives to renew our hearts and if we really want him in there we have to welcome that so i don't know if that answers your question or not but yeah here's the here's the <laughs> i'm gonna eat the microphone here's the exact quote therefore god owes it to the humanity of his son to make fools of these false christs by paralyzing the works of their pride or by allowing them to pass away as a momentary mirage, setting aside everything that works upon souls ex opere operato, God owes it to the, listen to this language, God owes, you listen, Mr. Carey, you listen. Okay, God owes it to the Redeemer to withdraw from the apostle who is inflated with his own importance, all his best gifts, God's best gifts, and to reserve these for the branch that humbly recognizes that all of its life sap comes from the divine stock. Otherwise, if he were to bless with deep and lasting results, the work filled with the poison of this virus we have called the heresy of good works, God might seem to be encouraging this abuse and favoring its contagious spread. And see, here's the thing, and this is what happens at archdioceses and at um, dioceses and at parishes across the countries. We make an idol out of good works. So we make an idol out of increasing our mass numbers. We make an idol out of um, trying to have more baptisms. We make and and in the evangelical community, we make an idol, they make an idol out of not they they I'm not an evangelical. Um, they make an idol out of how many believers, how many new believers did we get? How many people prayed the the sinner's prayer or accepted Christ or how many mailers? Um, did we get in, or like a address card, what do you call them, connect cards or whatever, did we get after a service? Absolutely. Or, you know, here's something. I think it's very tempting to say that the church right now has made an idol out of a discipleship. That if that's all that we need, what we, all that we need is Jesus. That is the most important part. Now, to put it in those words of um, a discipleship, I think that that's great. I think that... Uh, I mean, it's in the title of my office for crying out loud. So I'm all, I'm all about it, but to make the most important thing in anything that we do in, in ministry should always be Christ. Always, always, always. And when you make it about something else, even if it's a good thing, the Lord is going to wreck that eventually. Sometimes it might take 10 years. It might take 20 years, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's like when people tend or people who, I mean, I've, I have fallen into this trap where I will try to try to, uh, try to fetishize the Eucharist. So I'm going to get this thing. 
I'm going to go and do that so I can feel good about myself. I'm going to go as opposed to really entering into the mass for what it is. You know, and we take this really holy, great, awesome thing, and we turn it into a thing that's ultimately about us. And that's, um, you know, and listen, nobody's perfect. Like, we're all, this, this is the cross that, that, that we have. But if we, I do believe we aren't talking about these things right now. Then what, what's the point? Like, what are we doing? Like, wh- like, really, like, what is the point? Like, I don't, un- sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I believe the point is job security. For administrative professionals like myself. All right, so let's wrap it up there. I want to thank Mr. Carey, the director of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and discipleship. Thank you so much for coming out. Hearty handshake to you, good sir. Thank you. Um, thank you to all of. Thank you to all of your listeners out there. Yeah, my my listeners and uh, occasionally Luke's. Uh, they are. Uh, I think we're learning. I think we're learning something. Um, will you do me a favor when you leave? Will you tell Luke that he can come back oh, sure. in? And uh, I hear you guys have a very good Patreon account. I really encourage everyone to support you on there. I believe it's patreon.com slash CF. Hmm, that's it. Hey, real quick before you go, have you guilt-tripped your parents, your mom, your siblings? Have you guilt-tripped any of your family members into donating, Mr. Carey? I've not, but... Oh, I, I have. Huh, I have. That's pretty desperate. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you, everyone. This has been great. Don't know why I'm waving at the podcast. Yeah, you are literally waving at a microphone. A terrible microphone that picks up every noise in the whole damn room. Yeah, yeah, the guy who's here likes it. Okay. Um, Hey, Luke, come on in. Oh, there he is. There it is. There it is. Boy, I had to go. It was a long, long trip to the UDF. The UDF. The Cincinnati thing. I hate you. I hate you. So uh, thank you all for listening. Um, we're going to do uh, the Patreon account hit. That was awesome. Hey, to our three winners, we still have not yet received the books from Ascension, or from, uh, not Ascension Press. That's awkward. From Ignatius Press. Um, but I just want to point out that book is Matt Frad's The Porn Myth. Everyone should go out and buy it, except for our three people. We are going to send your copy for free, along with Catching Fox's stickers. But the book is really great. as a non-religious argument. Uh, trying to prove the from all different types of scientific studies and whatnot, um, and yes, even by atheists. I love how Matt says it. And Matt was even—he was just on uh, a like I think it was on the BBC or something. Which is he was on a—he was on a British uh, radio program which where is he was crazy intense because they hate God over there because <laughs> the Brits do anything they hate God. But they uh, just kidding. But they to our two listeners from the UK, they <laughs> they uh, they interviewed. Um, America's favorite Australian, and he was supposed to debate a libertarian on pornography, and so he called me up because I have very strong libertarian tendencies, and we were going to discuss how best to frame that debate, and then he called me back and he said, actually, I'm going to speak with a sex worker. That's, I feel like that's setting him up for failure. Welcome to radio. But I hear you did a good job. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a unique episode, a bit more somber. Would you say somber? I don't know. I wasn't there for the whole thing. That's a good point. That's a good point. You weren't in the room. Um, so thank you. You're at UDF here in Cincy. Here in Cincy eating Skyline Chili. It's a Cincy fanatic favorite. It's freaking great. So is this apartment and that lovely refrigerator. All right. We have to go because Luke turned off his um, air conditioning unit and I am starting to sweat. So thank you all for listening. God bless you. Maybe I'll add some funny sound effects in the middle. UNA ratings on iTunes, por favor. And thank you all for, for your support. It's fantastic. Full house. The beaver puppet? Was that in the full house? Joey. Had a beaver, had a beaver puppet that he was on, like a show for kids. All right, I had a beaver puppet once. I would slide my hand right up Justin. (laughs) 